streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, May 6th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by Matt Baxendell. Max, a lot to get into today. I started a thread on the front row message board yesterday asking our readers to ask questions for us for today's show, so we're going to get to that. But before we get to that, breaking news this morning. I tell you what, when we can start off the show talking about Ohio State landing its next punter, count me all in for that. It's the most important play in football, right, Jim Tressel and the Buckeyes this morning. Right before we started recording the show, landed punter Jesse Mirko from Perth, Australia, 23-year-old Australian rules football player, another punter coming out of Australia. Uh, if, hey, this is Cam Johnston 2.0. Count me in for this. But uh, he's a, in the 2021 class. He becomes the 18th member of the Buckeyes 2021 class. And, you know, the, the success rate of good punters coming from Australia is pretty high. So I like this a lot, Bax. Yeah, uh, Perth, Australia, by the way, is a long way away. You think Australia's far just in general? Perth is on the west coast of Australia. There's like literally nothing within like 2,000 miles of it. So this kid is certainly making a massive change in, uh, in lifestyle coming over from Australia. But you know, general rule of thumb is just when you get these Aussie punters, they're usually really good. Uh, and just every time you – he's probably one of these kids who let's – let's be frank here. We don't know a ton about them. Right, because we're not out there scouting Australian punters twenty-four-seven sports until we have a reason to. But I love it. I mean, he's twenty-three. He plays Aussie rules football. That's all you need to know about the, the these Aussie kids, right? Is that they can boom the ball, and he's tough. So I'm excited about it. And there's going to be some people who, who will complain that it takes up a spot that could be given to some five-star kid because we're now up to eighteen kids. Yada yada yada. And they have to have a punter. Drew Christman's got one year left. So, you know, you're going to have to find a punter somewhere. So reaching out to Australia and landing a kid like this is that's, – that's, that's as good as you can hope for, I think. I think any Ohio State fan who is upset about them landing a scholarship punter in this class needs to look a little deeper. I mean, obviously we talked about Cam Johnston. He was on scholarship for four years and did a great job. Drew Christman going to be on scholarship for five years because he redshirted a year and he's doing a great job, you know. Cam Johnson's punting in the NFL now for the Eagles. I have no doubt Drew Christman's going to be an NFL punter. And if you try to go on the cheap, if you try to just find like a walk-on, maybe it'll work out. But I like the idea of getting a scholarship punter, especially considering you look at how the 2021 roster was projected before this morning. They didn't have a punter, a scholarship punter. So I like this a lot. All right, let's get to the questions from the readers. All right, first question is from Pago Buckeyes. He wants to know about quarterback recruiting for the 2022 class. It's a great question because right now there's not a lot of top targets on Ohio State's board if you go on 24-7 sports and look at it. The one guy who's at the top of their list is Quinn Ewers from the state of Texas. The problem is he is the number one pro-style quarterback in the country in the 2022 class, kids that are just finishing up their sophomore year in high school, and he's the number two overall prospect in the country. So that's one to keep an eye on if you're shooting for the stars. 
in state, there's a young man from Centerville, Ohio, in the Dayton area named Chase Harrison. He's not highly ranked right now. He's the number 27 pro-style quarterback in the country, number 19 prospect in Ohio. But he's really good, and I think, the, I think he's a little underrated right now. Being from the Dayton area, I know about him a little bit. My brother-in-law actually was one of his teachers when he was in you know, middle school in Centerville. So I, I know Chase Harrison, and he's a good kid, and maybe he'll move up the rankings. But right now, I'll say this. It's a damn good thing Ohio State has Kyle McCord in their 2021 class backs, and it's a damn good thing they got C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller in the 2020 class because right now, 2022 quarterback recruiting, there's not a lot of top targets on Ohio State's board. Yeah, and another thing you're going to see eventually is is that uh, right now kids are committing because they know that in a year or so, Fields' time is going to be up, and they're going to be ready to rock and roll to compete for the job. Uh, let's, let's face it, after this upcoming season, you're going to have McCord, Stroud, and Miller all fighting for that job. So, you know, it's easy to go out and get a top kid and tell him he's going to have a chance to play right away, right? Because it's the truth. Uh, what happens, though, to next year's recruiting class where you've got three – essentially freshmen fighting for the job. I mean, obviously you're going to have had Stroud and Miller on campus for a year. So I think it's going to be a little more difficult next year to go out and just pluck a top kid. You know, but that said, this is still Ohio State. Uh, this is still the, one of the, 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 the great schools in the country now for quarterback recruiting and will be as long as Ryan Day is there. So it's early. Like, let, let, let's be honest here. There's, there's a lot of kids out there who maybe they haven't been fully identified yet. The class of 2022 kids are – you know, it's still pretty early in the cycle. And unfortunately, with us not having camps this spring, that just sets back the opportunity to see a lot of these kids camp and throw and really figure out who has arm strength. So I'm, I'm not panicking about the quarterback recruiting situation yet, but there's nobody obvious, right? It's not like last cycle around, where around this time we knew it was going to be McCarty or it was going to be McCord, right? And they ended up going on McCord. Uh, and let's not forget, the cycle before that, C.J. Stroud was really not on the board until very late in the cycle. Right. And Planning a top hundred kid position, you know, it was always Jack Miller, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the day, they're like, "Yeah, we need a second quarterback, so let's get the number three quarterback in California," which was a you know like the number five in the country or something. So that was a very happy circumstance to fall into a little bit of a late blooming kid in Stroud. So I, it's too early to panic about there not being any quarterback guys that aren't clear. And end of the day, I'm sure Ohio State will go out and find a darn good quarterback. I don't think you're going to see them going out and taking somebody they don't think can compete with the guys they already have. That's exactly right. And, it's, and you touched on this. It's so important to point out that there are a lot of great high school quarterbacks at big-time programs that don't start until their junior season. You know, it's just like Justin Fields, for example. Justin Fields didn't start until his junior year of high school. So coming out of his sophomore year in high school before the camp season, you know, people didn't know that much about Justin Fields because he had never started a football game in high school. So a lot of these kids that are going to end up being highly ranked in the 2022 class that the Buckeyes will probably be going after might not have even started, you know, a game yet in high school at the varsity level. Chase Harrison from Centerville has been starting since he was a freshman. Quinn Ewers has been starting since at least his sophomore year, maybe since his freshman year. So that will change dramatically over the next year, no doubt. All right, next question is from One Bad Buck. He wants to know, Bax, does Larry Johnson deserve criticism for the lack of quarterback pressures and sacks down the stretch last season? He adds, teams figured out how to block Chase Young, and then the Buckeyes were not able to get any pressure. I tell you what, I don't hear much criticism about Larry Johnson, but you know, one bad buck is asking, should he, you know, should he be uh, criticized for the lack of quarterback pressures and sacks down the stretch, backs? Well, I, I think here's the thing. 
it's not a video game. People always, you know, they look at the, the way one position group does in any given game, and they assume that it should be just the domination every second, right? Even those last couple of games where people are like, well, Chase Young didn't get a sack. Chase Young was getting double and triple teamed and still made a number of really excellent plays. Uh, and the other thing is, is you have to remember when you're going against the last two games of the year against essentially the two best teams you played all year, and really look at the last four games of the year, those were four pretty darn good football teams. I know we make fun of that school up north, but they did win nine games last year. Penn State was a, a team that won a New Year's Six game. Uh, Wisconsin lost in the Rose Bowl by a point, and that was a game they should have won. And, of course, we know how good Clemson was. They were good quarterbacks on those teams. There were good lines on those teams. Uh, I'm not going to criticize Larry Johnson when the defensive line all year was largely a dominating force. And, you know, let, let's face it, Trevor Lawrence had to run in the Fiesta Bowl because he had to run for his life. That was, the, that was the simple answer. He just happened to be a lot more athletic than some of these other quarterbacks they were chasing all year. So I, I think it's something that they're going to learn from and try to do some different things in the future. Uh, but at the end of the day, of all the complaints you can have about last season's team, the D-line is – really near the bottom for me. I think it was an excellent season from the D-line across the board. And I, I, have, I think it would be the height of insanity to criticize Larry Johnson when I think he's widely considered to be the best defensive line coach in the country. Yeah, there's nobody else I would rather have coaching Ohio State's defensive line. Is anybody perfect? No, but I, there's nobody better at his craft coaching D-linemen than Larry Johnson, and he's an excellent recruiter too. So I understand the question, but – I agree with you. I do not think Larry Johnson deserves a lot of blame there. Yeah, they weren't playing like Division II schools. They were playing the powerhouses or some of the powerhouses of the country, including Clemson. And if you look at it in the Michigan game, I know he didn't have Chase Young didn't have any sacks. In the second half of that game, he was pressuring the hell out of Shea Patterson. Shea Patterson was like like four of twenty-two or something like that passing, something like that. Four of twenty passing in the second half. And you know. It's not all about – and the question was pressures and sacks. He didn't just say sacks. But, you know, Chase Young was hitting the quarterback. He wasn't getting any sacks those last four games. But, uh, but I get it. Another question from one bad buck. Backs, what is more likely to happen, an Ohio State defensive back winning the Thorpe Award or an Ohio State receiver winning the Bolitnikoff Award? Well, last year Ohio State should have had a defensive back win the Thorpe Award. Right. Yeah. Winning that award was insane. Uh, like, won the NFL version. Jeff Okuda won the NFL's version of the Thorpe Award, didn't he? Yeah, but like the Delpit thing, by the way, just this is going to go slightly off topic, but the Delpit thing was insane because he wasn't even the best defensive back on his own football team. Right? That, that's just that's mind boggling to me that, that Delpit won that award over Okuda. So the, the answer is, is Ohio State should have had a Thorpe Award winner last year. Um, but I, I think you're more likely to see somebody win the Blitnikoff than the Thorpe in the short term, just because I think the Thorpe is a little more difficult to, uh, it's a little more difficult because you have to have guys who get a lot of sacks or not, not sacks, interceptions, right? Um, like you have guys who, who are playing Thorpe for the Thorpe award and you know, you, you can have an exceptional corner that they don't throw the ball at and everybody admits that the guy's really, really good and teams just avoid him as much as possible. Kind of like we saw with Okuda. Right, they threw at Damon Arnett all year, which really gave him some great film and helped him move up. But one of the arguments was that Okuda didn't have enough interceptions, right? Um, and, and, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, it's just like it was with Denzel Ward. They're not throwing the ball at him, and when they do, we say thank you because it's not going to get completed. Whereas on the flip side, you can see somebody like Chris Olave going off and having 
15 touchdown catches this year and, you know, 1,400 receiving yards and looking like a, bon- a monster. I just, and, and while the ball gets spread around more on offense, and I get that that's sort of a, a counterpoint to what my argument here is, I think at the end of the day, there's going to be more flash pizzazz and Ohio State's going to get more attention in a situation where, you know, you have uh, an NFL quarterback in Justin Fields on your team right now. And you could easily see Olave or even a Garrett Wilson having an explosion kind of year where they just they, they, they collect touchdowns like they're candy. So I think Ohio State's much more likely to have Blitnikoff than a Thorpe Award winner this year. Um, though if, if you certainly have a great Thorpe candidate in Sean Wade, that's, Wade, that's for sure. Next question comes from Buckeye13625. Series of questions on recruiting, I should say. Let's start with the two young men from Washington State. JT Tumaloau and Emeka Igbuka. JT, the number one defensive tackle recruit in the country. Emeka, the number one wide receiver recruit in the country. I'll, I can take this one and you can give your thoughts as well. I am hearing, while the Buckeyes still have a great chance of landing JT, I'm hearing it's going to be hard to get him off the West Coast. Uh, he loves Ohio State, but he's interested in USC. He's interested in hometown, uh, Washington. So, Right now, if I had to guess, I think he's probably not going to be in the class, but it's close. Like, I, I wouldn't bet on it. Um, but right now, I would say JT probably won't be in the class. I'm hearing Emeka's likely in the class. That's what I've been told by people I trust. What do you think, Bax? Yeah, I think if you, they're certainly more likely to land Egbuka than you are uh, JTT. I think, that, I think that's just a, a given at this point. Uh, I think there's, if you look at the run on crystal balls, just, just follow the breadcrumbs there, folks. Um, so that's certainly something to keep in mind. But I do think you have to think of this as well. JTT was teammates with, with G. Scott last year, right? And that's not going to hurt OSU at all. That's going to help OSU. I don't think they're out of it with JTT, and I don't think that's what you were saying at all. Um, but I, I do, and I do think Egbuke is more likely, but I do think they have a realistic chance at landing JTT. Um, I think some of what's going to guide the, his decision is going to end up being, like you said, those West Coast teams. Uh, what is USC doing? They've got some momentum in recruiting now. They're into the top ten in the, in the composite right now. Uh, you know, do they have a good year this year, though? Because let's, let's face it, if that program had any money, they would have fired their coach last year, right? But they didn't, so they couldn't afford the buyout, right? The other side of that coin is, is that there, there's going to be some pressure for him to stay home. Uh, if, if the new coach up there, I believe his name's Jeremy Lake, uh, if, if he can do well in his first year following Chris Peterson, then, then JTT is going to potentially see Washington as a viable landing spot. When the whole country wants you, you know, the, the, the local school has to really have a good sales point to keep you. And if Washington goes out in their first year and they go eight and four or seven and five, I think he's going to look at that. Like, do I really trust this guy to put together a program worth having? So you know, there's a lot of moving parts in the JTT recruitment. It's one of those things where if he was from Chicago instead of, uh, instead of Seattle, this recruitment might be over already. But, you know, distance is unfortunately a real thing. So uh, I think you're much more likely to land Buka. I think he's much more likely to make an announcement soon as well compared to JTT, who we're going to see this play out for a while still. That's exactly right. I mean, I, again, I think Ibuka's in the class – probably and you know JT as you mentioned that I want to be clear I mean yeah I said if I had to guess right now they're probably not going to land him but as you said they certainly are not out of it Ohio State is very much in this he loves Ohio State 
it's just, you know, distance from home could be a big factor there. Uh, okay, the next question's from Buckeye13625. What's to do about J.C. Latham? All I will say about this is I really don't think much has changed with J.C. Latham. I think really I think he's trying to have his day in the sun, and I get it. You know, when everybody was starting to say, oh, he's a Buckeye lock, he was like, yeah, hold on a second. I want a little drama here, and I, I don't blame these kids at all for that. I used to not be a fan of that. Now, you're a 17-year-old kid. Keep the drama. Man, have your, if you want to have your day in the sun, great. If you want to be no frills, that's great too. But here's what I would tell people. Steve Wiltfong and Bill Curlick, two guys who really know their recruiting stuff, maybe better than anybody, have both crystal balled J.C. Latham to the Buckeyes. So that hasn't changed. So I still feel confident about that. Regarding Taiwan Malone or Taiwan Malone, that might be a little bit closer. I, you know, the, I think that's going to be a close one. So I'm not sure about Taiwan Malone. Now, Jager Burton, I feel good about that one. The offensive lineman from Lexington, Kentucky. Steve Wildfong has put in a crystal ball for the Buckeyes. But I have heard, you know, he's interested in Kentucky. Believe you think it's going to come down to Kentucky and Ohio State. It's a Buckeye lock, right? Well, the kid's from Lexington, grew up rooting for Kentucky. So that could be close. But I do think Jager Burton's going to be in this class. Vax, any thoughts you have on J.C. Latham? Tywone Malone and Jager Burton. Well, I think Malone's recruitment's interesting because if you look at the schools that are chasing him, Ohio State's competing. Obviously, he's the number one player in New Jersey, right? Then we're competing with, you know, Rutgers for him and Alabama's certainly interested in him, right? But then the other teams he seems to be the most interested in are like Old Miss and Texas A&M. And I'm like, what's going on with that? That's not like your, you know, your usual suspects. Like, and he's got offers from everybody, right? But like, what kid from New Jersey is looking at going to Ole Miss whenever he could go to Alabama or Ohio State? Like, that just – that kind of makes me go, what in the heck is, is even going on here? But let, let's, let's just – let's be honest, though. Uh, I think J.C. Latham is a player who, like you said, there's some crystal balls on him from, from some people who know what they're talking about to Ohio State. There's uh, – he's a, clearly a very highly rated player. I mean, the top 247, he moved up to third nationally – so that tells you what the recruiting folks think of him. There's going to be additional uh, interest in a player who's ranked so highly no matter what. But at the end of the day, you're right. These kids, they've grown up, like, it, 10 years ago, it, the, not all these kids grew up with the hat dance as a common thing on national TV. Now everybody's got their, like, drone announcement videos on Twitter and, or, and everything, and that's their way they want to do it. They want the drama. They want the, quote, love being shown to them. And so, you know, there's going to be a little bit of games played. And the other thing on top of this is none of these kids can visit right now at all. So a kid like Latham who had visits lined up is now having to make decisions a little differently than he intended on it. Same with kids like the Washington kids that we just talked about. Like how are you supposed to know what a school looks like, even if they're doing virtual tours or all this other stuff, right? Michigan State's made a big deal recently about all these commitments they've landed using these like virtual tours they're calling the festival up there, right? Well, a lot of these kids aren't comfortable pulling the trigger until they get physically on campus. They feel the vibe for the place. You know, I, I vividly remember that Ohio state was a school on my list. And then I drove over the lane Avenue bridge and I didn't know why, but I just knew I was going there. I, I, just, I just knew the second I got on campus, right? That's a, they're humans. They're not just robo football players. Right? So some of these kids saying having a little bit of uncertainty during this process, during a time period where you can't even go visit the schools, Right. Like, I have some neighbors whose kids aren't football players at all who are just driving to Ohio schools to drive around the campus right now, even though they can't actually tour, so that their junior-aged kid 
in high school can see some of these campuses, right? So kids like these football players who have way more options than just looking around in Ohio, they're going to want to take advantage and see these places, right? So I, I, don't, I don't see it as game playing even as much this year for some of these kids. You know, they, they're, they have a hard decision to make, and they're making it under unprecedented situation right now. So, you know what, I think Ohio State has a great chance at Latham. They have a great chance at Malone. they got a great chance at Burton. They're going to land a couple of them. I don't know if they get all three of them, but they're going to land a couple of them. And guess what? There's only a couple spots left in this class. So we may have answers sooner rather than later. Ohio State's legitimately getting to the point where, where they have to consider whether they want to leave a couple spots open for some of these late deciders or not because they have so many kids who would commit to this class if they could. So – you know, I think let's not panic on kids like Latham yet. I think there's a long way to go in this process. And if things start opening back up a little bit more here in the next few weeks, you may be able to see some of these kids start to take visits. And then we can start getting some actual decisions for some of these kids who want to see the campuses physically before they make their choices. I also think it helps Ohio State that they're putting together this historically great class. It's not just going to finish number one. It's going to finish number one by a large margin. And, you know, if you're a kid and, and you want to, win national titles and, you know, no better way to do that than to join a program like Ohio State that's putting together the number one class in the nation with a great coaching staff. That's got to help them with some of these kids down the stretch. I love how we're talking about down the stretch and it's in May, but it feels like that's, when you have 18 kids in your class already, it feels that way. And, hey, you know, the early signing period is late December. Um, so, yeah, spots are filling up 18 strong already with the punter committing this morning. All right, next question. This is from Clubber68. This really made me think. Who is the best interior defensive lineman to come out of Ohio in the last 10 years? We can't count Mike Hall. I think Mike Hall is going to be tremendous, but he hasn't come out of Ohio yet. He's still in Ohio. He's going to be, of course, a member of – he is a member of Ohio State's 2021 recruiting class, one of the best D-tackles in the country. But, Bax, who's the best D-tackle to come out of Ohio the last 10 years, in your opinion? Now, that's a good question because – well, what my initial thought was is what Ohio kids that maybe we didn't see uh, end up at Ohio State, can we look at and say, hey, look at this, this group, right? Maybe, uh, maybe there was somebody who got away that was a lower-rated kid that ended up exploding. Um, like, the, remember Odenabo, who was at North, went to Northwestern instead of Ohio State? But he's a defensive end, right? But that kid had seven sacks last year for the Vikings, right? So I was trying to think of non-Ohio State kids when this first popped into my head, right? So that and that's a really good question. Uh, so I, I think what what, what are we, ten years is our rule here, Dave. So it's class of twenty twelve. I think we can go. No, I mean last ten years. So let's go twenty twenty. Let's go twenty ten. I got right, one. So let me throw one out. Dolph, go, yeah, I got go. one. The yeah. Dolphins Washington was a DE and a D tackle, but that guy played a lot of D tackle, and he was a darn good player. Yeah, he was a defensive tackle on our national championship team. Yeah, exactly. And that was, that's why I was asking how far back can we go? Cause he was one of the first ones that popped into my head. Remember he was the first commitment to urban Meyer. It was like the day before urban actually was announced as the coach at Belfast, Washington announced he was going to Ohio state and everybody goes, who are you playing for? He's like, you'll find out. <laughs> so that yeah. one was always a good one to me. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I, I think you, go ahead. I will go back one year earlier with um, Adolphus Washington's running mate on that 2014 national championship team at D tackle, Michael Bennett. Now, Michael Bennett's yeah, yeah. NFL career, I think if he didn't, you know, get hurt, 
and everything. I, I think he would have been a good NFL player. He slipped to the sixth round. Anybody who remembers with the Jaguars had a couple years with them, but he kept getting hurt. Um, anybody who remembers going into that 2014 season, Michael Bennett was projected as a first-round pick, late first-round pick entering that season. He was in Chicago as one of Ohio State's player reps, and he was a dog. I mean, he, him and Adolphus Washington and Joey Bosa – there wasn't the, the deep defensive line then. Those three played almost the entire game. You know, they did rotate Steve Miller in and out. Um, he was out there a lot too. But those three guys were just iron men. So it's tough. But I'm going to go with Mike Bennett. His high school film was just so great, and he was a great player at Ohio State. Now, I will throw this in. The highest-ranked defensive tackle recruit to come out of Ohio in the last 10 years is dot, 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 Billy Price. So yeah, he obviously moved. He was one of the top defensive tackle recruits in the country. I think he was ranked as like the number three or four D tackle in the entire country. Obviously moved to offensive line and the rest is history. I love that question. That really I got me. another one too. We, we can't forget. Yeah. Draymond Jones. Oh, good one. Yeah, he came in as a DN, moved to D. That's a good one. Yep. Yeah, remember how good he was at OSU? He was a sack machine from defensive tackle. I mean, that guy was excellent. Yeah, excellent defensive tackle for yeah, us. Yeah, third round pick. Yeah, good call there. Good call. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't forget Draymond when we're doing this discussion. And, and by the way, uh, you, if we're going to be talking about third-round picks, uh, how about Devon Hamilton? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He, I had him jotted down, too. Absolutely. You know, Devon Hamilton, what's funny about him being a third-round pick is Adolphus Washington was also a third-round pick, just like Draymond Jones. Yeah, Devon Hamilton's on the list, lowly-ranked recruit. That People were like, what, what are they taking this little low three-star from, you know, here in, in Central Ohio and then ends up being a two-year starter and a third-round NFL draft pick. So, yeah, those are – I think we I think we hit on all the names there. I'm sure the listeners are going to be like, hey, you forgot about so-and-so. But that'll be like Monday's show when Steve and I were talking about there hasn't been a Kettering Alter player uh, to play for Ohio State since Jerry Radzinski. And I felt a big tap on the shoulder. Uh, uh, it was Nick Mangold waving at me. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> not literally, but it was just like, hi, you guys, you guys forgot about me? Uh, Nick Mangold here. Like, sorry, Nick. Uh, and I'm from the Dayton area, too. That makes it pretty bad. But, yeah. So yeah, sorry, I say, even I knew that one. Come on. Sorry, Kettering <laughs> Alter fans. We forgot about Nick Mangold. I, I don't know how that happened. All right, last yeah, I got another one for you, Dave. I got another one for you. If you want to end, to end the D-tackle thing. This is going back even further. Hey, he didn't get have a long NFL career for not really non-football reasons, but – uh, remember how good Quinn Pickcock was? He's a Pickwick kid. Oh heck yeah, I remember. Now that goes back. That's, that goes back pretty far. But Quinn Pickcock, Quinn Pickcock was awesome. He was. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's more like twelve years or so. Whenever he left OSU from now, but still, he's right on the edge of that ten-year rule. Yeah. So. Well, I, no, he's pretty. I think he was like in the. Wasn't he in like the twenty, the two thousand and two class? <laughs> was are we talking high school or when they left OSU? Because you left OSU. Oh. Yeah, he left OSU in like uh, 2006. So, yeah, I was I was going 10 years like from high school. So, uh, okay, so that's a little further back. I'm, I'm actually glad you threw Quinn Pickcock in there. He was always one of my favorite guys to cover, and uh, good guy too. I mean, really good guy, and he was a bulldog in there. All right, last series of questions. This is from Spin Doctor. First question. I mean, I'll take this one. He says, "What has the access to the football staff been like?" compared to Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. It's been pretty similar. It's been pretty similar. Like, Urban Meyer was pretty generous with his time with us. I would say Ryan Day has been a little bit more generous. Like, he's, his press conferences are a little bit longer. But as far as access to the program, it's been pretty similar. I mean, Coach Day opened up some things. He was going to open up a lot in spring ball. Of course, spring ball most of it got canceled. But we got to watch two full practices out of the 
three that they had. Um, now, we'll say this. When Urban first came in, he was opening a lot of stuff, too, and that slowly got tapered off. So we'll see. Jim Trestle was the same way. He used to have every practice open to the media his first couple years. Then, and then uh, too many people started showing up and putting, you know, putting stuff out there he didn't like. So then you know, he cut way back, too. So far, I would say Ryan Day is similar to Urban Meyer as far as access to the program, but maybe a little bit better with Ryan Day. It's been a little bit better, but Urban Meyer was really good to us, too. Next one. How is it getting access to the program during the COVID-19 situation? Great question. Ryan Day's knocking this out of the park. And so is Jerry Emig, the SID at Ohio State. We've had video conferences with Ryan Day, like at least three of them. We had one with Gene Smith. Last week, we had one with like almost the entire assistant coaching staff that we're going to be doing stories until probably the end of May on. You know, like we got everybody, I think, except for Corey Dennis, and there was one more, Matt Barnes. We got everybody except for those two. So they've been doing a great job of putting us in these video conference calls, Zoom, whatever we might do, or just, you know, a conference calling line where we just all call in on our cell phones. So they're doing a good job of that. We're going to get the players next week, we're told. Maybe Mickey Marotti as well. So we got Mark Pantoni uh, during this. So we're getting, a, we're getting a decent amount of access, I think, as much as we could hope for during the COVID-19 where we can't do face-to-face -face interviews. All right, Bax, next one's for you. Ben Doctor wants to know, final question of the show here, he wants to know, what are the thoughts on the rumblings coming out of Ohio State and the Ohio State House on Ohio State reopening this fall? I haven't seen much of that. I, I hope there's some rumblings there. Have you heard any rumblings about Ohio State reopening this fall, Bax? Well, there's nothing official, and I think the person you have to ask this question to is ultimately going to be Mike DeWine. I know we like to hate on President Drake, and we have no signs of who his replacement is, and I don't know how they're going to replace him when in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. Um, his term's up at the end of June. So I, I think this comes down to whether Mike DeWine lets it open back up, if we're going to be real honest here. Uh, I've said all along, I think we have football back. I think we have things closer to normal when the fall comes around than not. Um, End of the day, I don't think we've seen anything official. I think you've certainly seen some things that have been said by some members of the, uh, of the state Senate and the state House. You had the one member who was talking about how there'd be an insurrection if there wasn't football this year. And he's not necessarily wrong. Um, I, I do think people's um, patience with this whole situation is wearing a bit thin, though. Um, and I, I know that a lot of schools are doing online-only stuff during the summer, but if you look at a lot of the schools around the country, that have announced that they're opening in person in the fall. Um, and that includes schools in the Big Ten like Purdue. Uh, Purdue has already said that they plan to open in person in the fall. And so I think you're going to start seeing schools following suit. And it's going to be real interesting here to see how this goes because, you know, end of the day, I don't know if we necessarily have fans in the stands. It's going to depend on a lot of factors that we just can't guess yet. But the simple truth is that uh, – in, in my humble opinion, at least, I, I think they're going to be on campus for this fall. I think you're going to see uh, enough changes to get there. But, again, that's just conjecture. Uh, one thing I will say is that you had the best answer to any of the people who have been doing the whole, you can't have the football players come back. That's not safe for the students. They can't be there before the rest of the students. That's horse crap. They did that for years upon years. When I started at OSU, it was the end of September. And OSU had already played three games before you even had classes. So, yeah, I, I think you're going to see people on campus this fall, and I think there's no excuse not to have football. Whether the season starts on time, I don't know. I'm optimistic it will, and I'm optimistic we're going to get close to a full schedule. But 
that's going to depend on stuff that we just would be absolutely guessing at. But I do think you're going to see kids on campus this fall. I think the appetite is for everybody to start getting things back to normal. And I think that the medical community is starting to realize this too, is that, you know, eventually there's only so much you can do. We flattened a curve and people are going to get it. And you just have to hope that people get it at a slower rate. And we go from there. Fun show today. We started off with a punter committing to the Buckeyes, breaking news, and we got to the reader questions. Thank you for all the great questions out there, Bucknutters. And thank you to Matt Baxendale for his knowledge. I hope everyone has a great day. Let's hear the Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land.